All right, hey, what's up, everyone? Sam here, Wall Street Mastermind. I'm here today for another client interview. Um, this time with our client Daniel, uh, who recently, uh, I guess it's been a couple months, but got his summer internship offer um, for summer 2020, uh, and just want to get him to come on here and talk about his experience and share whatever advice he has with you guys um, to help you in your own process as well. So. Daniel, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be with us today. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, no problem. So happy to be here. Glad to uh, take part. Um, so yeah, um, my name is Daniel. I'm, as of the time of this uh, recording, I'm a junior. Um, I just locked down my uh, summer 2020 internship uh, a couple months back. So um, I uh, go to University of Minnesota, um, basically, um, I'm studying finance, kind of like everyone else does, but I, uh, um, you know, just went through uh, basically school and I was a sophomore when I started um, getting interested in investment banking. I really found it was <clears throat> the uh, best career for me to be um, optimistic about that would give me the best outcomes in terms of kind of the goals that I had in the future. And um, yeah, like I said, I was a sophomore when that happened and um, I basically tried everything on my own um, up through um, my junior year and I, uh, um, interviewed with a few firms on my own. Uh, eventually, nothing came out of that. And uh, after um, after the summer, after my sophomore year, I figured it was uh, time to make a change. If I really wanted to make this happen for my career, something had to change now. And I was basically willing to do anything to make it happen because I know the value of the investment making career is more than <clears throat> basically anything else. So um, I was willing to do whatever it took. I joined the uh, program and uh, basically everything turned around um, basically being way more methodic about everything I did and I was basically able to use that to land um, the internship that I did for this coming summer got it got it awesome um, so there's a lot of stuff for us to dig into there but let's just start from kind of the beginning so you say you go to University of Minnesota uh, obviously not you guys aren't really a target I know you guys have a business school but you guys aren't really a target school right Right. So I um, do go to the business school at University of Minnesota. Um, none of the big firms will recruit at my school. I, you know, had some recruiting from like local firms, but none of the uh, bulge brackets or anything like that. Got it. Okay. Um, and so you decided on investment banking sophomore year, which is kind of, it's pretty normal. It's kind of when a lot of people start to find out about it. Um, initially when you decided to, kind of approach this process on your own like how did you go about it and like what were you what were you doing to get these interviews what were you doing to prepare for these interviews did you get any interviews like talk to us about that um, initial process a little bit yeah so when I was a sophomore um, um, like I said I was going through the process on my own um, kind of what my technique basically looked like was kind of doing the same thing everyone else does you know reading the guides and um, I guess for even behaviorals, I didn't really have any process for that. Just kind of figuring it out on my own as I go. Um, that's basically how it went. So I did, I did some, some networking. You know, I probably reached out. I probably spoke with um, 20 to 30 people. Um, really not a lot. Um, it was enough for me to make a few good connections and um, get a couple interviews. I got a first round with one firm. Totally bombed the technicals and um, didn't get anything from there. Uh, I got... Uh, 
I was like an accelerated process for another firm that locally recruits for my school. I think um, just because I started networking with people early, um, I was in that. So I was kind of in a <clears throat> the preferred candidate pool and I got um, kind of earlier opportunity to do Super Day and I did make it to the Super Day, but um, uh, I guess I didn't cut it, didn't get the offer at that point. Um, and, you know, even though I was a preferred candidate, I just wasn't prepared. And these are like middle market banks near my school. And that's basically the process I was following kind of my sophomore year before joining um, Wall Street Mastermind. Got it. So uh, middle market banks, more like regional banks that were in the Minnesota area, basically. <clears throat> so not like, probably not banks that most people would have heard of, essentially. Yeah, mostly, um, yep, smaller banks, uh, both middle markets and um, near my school. Okay. And you, at this point, having gone through those two, so those are the only two interviews you got, right? But at the, at this point, you've gone through those two interviews. You didn't get the offer. Um, around what time frame? Was that like summer or sophomore year at this point? Or where were you at, the, at that time? Yeah, so I um, had my first, <clears throat> first round. Um, um, just, I think it was as the semester was ending, sophomore, um, second semester sophomore year right before the summer I had a first round so like I said I bought my technicals nothing came out of that um I uh, had an internship that summer and I uh you know like I said did some networking and that allowed me to get a super day with another middle market and that happened um I think beginning of August and they had offers out by August but um I wasn't one of them I see okay so I think you know, you mentioned you used the guides. Um, what were the guides you used? Was it like Wall Street Oasis, Mergers and Inquisition? Um, yeah, so I mean like you can read, yeah, I think I kind of read those guides to get a like a sense of like what investment banking was, the kind of things they talked about. In yeah. terms of like what a technical study I actually did before, um, before joining Wall Street Mastermind, um, yeah, there's like the 400 questions guide, which um, I basically spent, gosh, I'm trying to remember a lot of time on that. Like I probably put in, two or three hours a day for like um, a month, just reading through all those. And wow. like, you know, I could probably like, probably like remember what, like, hey, how to describe like a DCF or something, but there's really no conceptual understanding behind it. And that uh, just doesn't, that just doesn't work in investment making interviews. Yeah, yeah, um, got it. So technicals are pretty shaky. And then your behaviorals, you were saying, I guess you didn't really do much on behaviors. You just kind of went in the interview and just winged it or. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess it wasn't a wing yet, but I prepared beforehand, but I never really like, I never did any mock interviews. You know, I, I wasn't that methodical about it. I probably practiced, um, probably practiced a few times, but um, you know, I didn't like write it out. I didn't get it checked by anyone. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say I winged it, but even, even kind of working through it on my own, that's just not enough to really be confident that you're going to do well. Yeah. Got it. And then the networking conversations that you were having, the 20, 30 people that you, that you spoke to. Yeah. First of all, like, how did you figure out how to network? Cause a lot of students ask us like, I don't know how to network or I don't know where to start. Right. So how did you, how did you go about it? Or how did you figure out your, uh, approach and then like how like did it work well or was it okay yeah so um i guess i basically did no networking until april of my sophomore year 
And in April of my sophomore year, um, there was a, they call it like a career trek. So the school goes to like, we went to five firms in, um, in Minneapolis and we went to all the middle market firms. And just from that, I was able to meet some people, make some connections and um, ended up grabbing some coffee with them in the coming weeks after that. And, you know, I got basically a referral to another person to speak to. And that, that allowed me, I, I probably had, like I said, 20 or 30 conversations with, um, you know, like five to six firms. Um, but basically, like I said, that kind of led me to getting two interviews. Um, so basically, yeah, that's what my approach was. I wasn't too methodical about it. Um, you know, I wanted to like learn about the work they do because at that point I really didn't have that great of an understanding what investment banking was, but um, that's basically what my intention was, is just to learn about it. And I guess I made a good enough impression on a couple people to get a couple interviews, but basically I wasn't approaching it in a strategic way that um, I could actually consistently be getting referrals for the interview out of it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and so you basically almost entirely relied on, um, you relied on, just the school track um, to do all of your networking basically. And outside of that, like you didn't really have any contacts. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where it all kind of rooted from. And then eventually I met some people through those people, but yeah. um, there wasn't really anything outside of that um, kind of train of uh, like people that I talked to. Got it. Okay. Um, so this is, like you said, April of your sophomore year. I think you actually first came across Wall Street Mastermind probably, what, like December of sophomore year, like halfway through your sophomore year, right? That, that was when we first spoke. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Uh -huh. And then at the time, we didn't start working together right away, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that decision a little bit. Like what went into your kind of decision-making process and what made you decide kind of not to um, not to jump in uh, back then and then to continue to try it on your own first? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, let's see. We're thinking back. So December of my sophomore year, this is the first okay. time I reached out. And I guess I was trying to just learn more about the career. And, yeah. um, you know, I reached out to Wall Street Mastermind. Obviously, I spoke with you. Um, so um, I guess kind of my thought process was at the time, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to do investment banking. Mm -hmm. um, I th you probably remember this, but I told you about um, how I'm really close to my girlfriend and the hours would be tough for us. And yeah. basically you talked me through how uh, like, uh, you know, and kind of in any other career, um, it's going to be basically the same, the same thing for a long time. But obviously investment banking, it's um, an investment in your time just for, um, if you can do it for two years, um, it's, uh, you know, the payout can obviously be huge and the exit opportunities are huge. And, you know, if you don't like it, that's totally okay. Because, um, like, first of all, you can't really know if you like it until you try it. But also, even if you can get in, if you don't like it, you can basically go anywhere else. And those are some of the things that you kind of talked to me about. And that got me um, kind of more in the mindset to uh, kind of enter, uh, like, you know, start strategically trying to do recruiting for investment banking. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, at the time um, I was talking to you, I really wasn't all that um, committed to investment banking. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important that people kind of get committed early, but I think um, 
you know, in that thought process, I really wasn't ready to commit my time yeah. um, to making it happen. And, um, you know, whether or not I was in the program, if, like you kind of, you need to put in the time anyway, and I yeah. wasn't doing that properly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was kind of my thought process, why I didn't join originally. But, you know, when I think back now, um, I think everything you said um, really uh, ring with me. And I think I actually reached out a couple months later and I talked to you again. And um, that's when I was really more in a um, consideration mindset, really considering moving forward with the program mm -hmm. as something to help me break into investment banking. Yeah. And um, at that time, I had struggled a little bit. I basically couldn't land any internships and I was getting worried about that. And uh, I mean, like relevant internships to get into investment. I was worried about that. And I just, um, I wasn't willing to put in the resources necessary to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And obviously I regret that because I mean, there's, I don't think there's any excuse for leaving the kind of opportunities that investment banking provides on the table. Um, like, I don't think at, when I look back now, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't give for the position that I'm in. Um, because mm -hmm. like, obviously it opens just so many doors and you know, there's really no, there's really no reason that you should um, take a path of more resistance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even no matter what it takes, there's really no reason you should take a path of more resistance when we're talking about literally the rest of your career, the rest of your life and your future. And uh, I, th I think I started to realize that. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, which is because we hear this a lot where people will say, they'll talk to us and they'll say, you know, your program sounds great. Obviously, you know, we have a bunch of testimonials and um, they know that we get our clients results, but then a lot of people, maybe this is human nature. I don't know, but people tend to have this tendency to say, well, I want to try myself first. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to try myself first because what if I could get it on my own, then I don't need your help. Right. And so why invest in getting the help if I don't need, if I might not need the help. And so, I mean, what would you say to, what would you say to people who kind of have that mindset? I mean, you talked about the path of least resistance, but like, and I mean, obviously I have a point of view on that, but I'm curious, like what you would tell people like that. Cause it sounds like you were in their shoes at one point too. Yeah. I mean, like, guys, we're talking about the future that's gonna, you know, be like what determines your lifestyle for the rest of your life. And like, sure, you can like try to go back and get an MBA later. But like, obviously, that's super expensive and direct cost and opportunity cost. And like, I really don't think there's any excuse for um, not for not doing everything you can to get to the goals you want. So like, if it's really your, um, you know, the goal to, you know, become financially independent, you know, financially stable and be able to provide the kind of lifestyle you want for like your, um, whatever it's your like husband or wife and your kids or whatever it is. Um, I don't, I don't think there's any reason that you should take chances on that kind of stuff. Um, especially when we're talking, yeah, about so, such some, something so important. And when we're talking about a process that works so well, um, you know, obviously I'm talking about wall street mastermind. Um, you know, when you have the opportunity to make all that happen and um, really the investment is not that big um, in the big scheme of things, I really don't think there's any reason. I don't think there's any excuse for you to, uh, um, you know, risk 
the rest of your life because you want to see if you can do it yourself because like dude like you know if you do it yourself like that's great but come on if you don't you're like you're always going to wonder like hey what if i what if i got the help would i maybe be in a different place in my life i mean like I, that's just really not a place i want to be in i don't think there's any reason you should take that kind of chance right um, something important is your future right yeah man i mean i think you know, I always tell people, I think of this as an investment, right? Like working with Wall Street Mastermind is an investment. Um, and, you know, if people truly approach this from an investment mindset, uh, it's really, you know, what all great investors do, like Warren Buffett or Ray Dalio or Carl Icahn. I mean, pick whoever you want, right? But all the best investors in the world, what they understand about investing is that um, if you're being completely logical about it and not emotional, you don't want to invest emotionally, right? But if you're being very logical about it, what investing really comes down to is um, you're, you're playing the odds, right? You want to, you want to make bets where if you win, you're going to win huge. You're going to win big, right? But if you lose, you want to make sure that your downside is not that much, right? And so, you know, they call that asymmetrical investing, right? Which is, it's not to say that, I mean, even Warren Buffett or whoever, like they don't make the right investments every single time, right? But that's not really the point of investing. The point of investing is not to never be wrong. The point of investing is to always make the right decision. Like if, if the rewards are much, much greater than the risk, then you should make the bet. And then in the long run, you do that enough times, you're going to come out ahead. Right. So then coming back to this particular investment, the way I think about it is, could you maybe get into investment banking on your own? Absolutely. Right. Like there's nothing is impossible, but when we, objectively look at the statistics of people who actually get into investment banking, it's pretty much the top 1% or, you know, 2%, 3%, whatever you want to peg it at, but as low single digit percentage points, that's how many people actually get in out of the entire candidate pool. Right? So the chances of you just getting in as one of the top one or 2% of the candidate pool, when you're just doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, or not to mention if you go to a non-target school or, you know, um, you're, you're starting later or whatever it may be, but like the odds are stacked against you. Right. And so to your point, like, I don't think anybody, if you, when you think about it that way, nobody ever wants to, um, only give themselves like a two to 3% chance of succeeding. If, you know, succeeding means that like that's literally the difference between you having the type of lifestyle you want versus you not having the type of lifestyle you want like because we're not talking about something insignificant we're talking about probably one of the most important things that 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 you need to basically be happy in life decisions you want to make yeah yeah it's like i the, the the big three that i could think of are uh health wealth which i'll lump really uh i'll, I'll lump career in there because really your career is going to be like the number one way for you to generate wealth and then um 
relationships, right? Like you mentioned, you're really close to your girlfriend and like, that's obviously super important as well. Um, and so I totally respect that. But like, those are the three things that anyone needs to have a really happy and truly satisfying and fulfilling life. And it's like, nobody's ever going to say like, when it comes to these three things, like, yeah, I, I just, I'm okay with a 1% chance of success. I don't think anyone would ever say that, right? But anytime somebody tells me like, hey, I'd rather try it on my own to see if I would, to see if I can get it first, um, as opposed to just doing it with you guys, Sam, even though you guys, you know, as of today, as, as the time of this recording, we're at about a 93% success rate. So I'd rather have a one person chance of having everything I want in life versus a 93% chance. And to me, like, that incremental 92% improvement on my, on, on me getting what I want, how much you have to ask yourself, like how much is that worth to you? Right? Like as an invest from an investment standpoint, like how much is that worth to you? Because if you were to ask me that question, um, that's worth like millions of dollars to me personally. And of course, like, we're not going to charge people millions of dollars to work with us. Like we charge peanuts compared to, you know, what you're ultimately getting um, out of this program, especially if you get the job. I just, right before we started recording this, I had another client um, that was messaging me on Slack and he was literally telling me, he said, I mean, let me pull up his message just so I can read it because I don't want to misquote it. <laughs> but he was actually asking me, you know, hey, how do I start? Because he, he's starting to get offers for his summer 2021 for his junior summer internship. Um, and a lot of banks are interested in him. Um, he basically, he got a mid, middle market offer already. But that firm like went really early and he doesn't want to go to a middle market bank. So he said, so he started like contacting all the bulk bracket banks and trying to leverage that offer into accelerating. And then all these bulk bracket banks like Goldman, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, whatever, like Barclays, like they're all trying to accelerate. Um, his processes for him because they really like him and then he started like I think he's jumping the gun a little bit to be honest but he was like oh so how does somebody start prepping for buy side recruiting because he was thinking about like hey where do I want to go what bank would I rather go to if like I want to do technology private equity afterwards right and so he started asking me about buy side recruiting I'm going on a tangent here but uh, I basically told him I was like look I'm probably going to launch a new program later this year for PE recruiting and he got really excited about that and he was like let me know if you need any beta testers and i was like yeah sure i'll let you know i'll probably yeah because i'm probably gonna open it up to my own clients first and i'm um, just giving first dibs and he's like yeah that'd be huge thanks sam and he said i honestly am already looking back at wall street mastermind as the best investment i've ever made right and it's helped my investment in education actually come to fruition with the job like those are his words verbatim not mine right and so, like, you know, coming back to what we're talking about, it's just like, you've already probably made a huge investment in your education or your family has, if not you. Like, a lot of times your parents are the ones that are paying for it, right? A lot of you are paying probably well into the six figures to go to college for four years, right? A lot of you are maybe taking out tens of thousands of dollars of student loans just to be able to afford college. Right? I, speak to, I speak to students like that all the time. And when you look at that investment that you've already made, it's like, 
the reason you made that is because, or your family made that investment is because you believe that doing so will enable you to have a better career, right? Or to get a better job and make more money. And because if, if that wasn't the case, nobody would spend that type of money, right? Um, and so this is really just, this just goes hand in hand with that. It's like, we're trying to help you maximize the return that you're going to get on your six figure investment into your college education. Right. And so no matter how you slice and dice it, it's like, you know, if you believe that we can get you this outcome, then that should be worth a lot. Right. It's like, if you could graduate with a job that's making 125 K right out of school, which is what a first year analyst typically makes versus the average college guy who's making $50,000 a year right out of school. I mean, that's life changing, right? Um, so anyway, I think that, you know, to be a successful person, you know, I was talking to be a successful person, your mindset and your mentality, you have to think like a successful person, right? And I've never met a successful person ever who says, yeah, I think I'm going to take the path of most resistance, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I know there's this better way for me to, get to my goals, but I think I would rather take the more difficult way and just like try my luck. Right. And so that obviously, um, you know, I think it is an important, it's an important lesson. And, and that's, that's an important lesson that I, and you went through this yourself, but then you came around and had to pass this on to other people. Um, but I think that's one of the most important things for people to realize. Yeah. Well, I, I think another thing to keep in mind is like, if you look at the research, uh, you know, we can look at like Stanford um, graduate school's business research of like, what's the value of like this investment banking career? Um, and I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know that you probably know this too, but I think, what is it like five something million um, in present value terms for investment banking um, in addition compared to um, the average person? Yeah, they, so, what they did was they compared Stanford GSB grads that started their career in banking versus Stanford GSB grads that started their career in either consulting or entrepreneurship or the other popular yeah. business school destinations, right? And they found that the people that started in banking on average over the next 10 to 20 years of their career made anywhere from one and a half to five and a half million dollars more than their peers in present value. Yeah. So like, look, that's like present value. Like, any way you any way you look at it, like even hey, let's be conservative. Um, like let's say like a million, which is by the way below any of any of the data, right? So yeah. like if, like literally, if you even just say a million, that's like present value terms. Like we're not talking about a million over your career. Like literally a million today, if you can right. get that job. Right. So like honestly, like if you analyze this as like Warren Buffett would or as a financial analyst would, like um, I don't know, like you watching this, like if you like a finance or accounting major or something, but if you're going to go into banking, you've got to know this stuff anyway, is like, like analyze it as an investment. Like um, literally like what's the NPV of this investment? Um, it's over like, I mean, if we're talking about a million dollars conservatively present value, like we're talking like 990 something thousand dollars. Like well, that's crazy in present value terms. Like literally you can just like get handed that in present value terms because dude like compare that to like if you do it on your own like sure like you can maybe make it happen and like you don't have to 
invest any money. Like you can, you're still going to have to invest more time anyway, yeah. but like, come on, literally just analyze as an investment, look at the ROI or the like, like, and then yeah. like, maybe like for some people, like you don't even have the, like the cash to do it. Um, if you're looking at investment that has an ROI, that's like 10 times some anything else, like you're not going to do it because you don't have the cash. You just, that's just, that's just dumb. Investors don't think that way. Mm-hmm. Like you can, I mean, you can think about it like, um, like, like rich dad, poor dad, you know, poor people say, I can't afford it. Rich people say, how can I afford it? Because, you know, they realize they can have anything they want, but they have to make it happen, not make excuses. Because like, listen, like if you're in college, like you're an adult, you're probably taking on student loans anyway. Like there's no reason you can't do this program. And like, like we're literally talking about ROIs that are hundreds, like hundreds of times higher and you can't do it because. Right. Like, I no, think like you're absolutely right. I mean, rich people get rich not off of their own money; they use what they call OPM, right? Which is other people's money. <laughs> yeah, stands for other people's money. It's like this is like real estate investors. They buy up all these properties using mortgages, which is loans that they got from the bank. But it's not their money, right? Um, and private equity firms, when they invest in companies. They're using debt that they're taking out to do these LBOs, right? They're not using their own money. And so it's the same concept, right? Just at a much micro level. Um, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we can even go a step further and say, you know, using your conservative assumptions of a million dollars, right, of present value, let's even like risk adjust that and, you know, probability weight it and say, well, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a job just because you work with Wall Street Mastermind, right? Right, there's no guarantee. So if we just use our success rate today of 93%, you can discount the, the outcome by another 7% if you want. So instead of a million dollars, it's, you know, $930,000. I mean, it's, it, doesn't, it, just, it doesn't matter, right? You, you, like no matter how you look at it, um, it's one of the best investments you could ever make. Right. And I think a lot of our clients feel that way, which is why they became our clients. And some of the people that choose not to, like they're just not really thinking about it logically, you know? Um, So anyway, but you ultimately though, even though you didn't come into the program at the time, Mm -hmm. then you went out, you struggled a bit on your own and you came back, I think around like November of your junior year. Yeah. Right. So at this point, it's pretty late in the recruiting process, actually, because most of the big banks, they recruit between nowadays, they recruit between second semester, of sophomore year and the first semester of junior year. And you came to us closer to the tail end of the first semester of junior year. Right. right. Um, and you actually ended up paying for this program on your own. Right. Like you didn't even like your parents didn't help you or anything like that. Like you just, right. you just bet on yourself. But then, like, take us from that point forward. So, like, you join late November. A lot of these firms probably already done recruiting and whatnot, right? Um, how did, like, what happened from there then? Like, what, what would you say changed when it comes to your recruiting process and how you prepared and how you went about it, just how you approach things in general? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously when I joined the program, first thing, like, we revamped my resume and you know that's really just a small thing but um 
Um, you know, when I sent off my resume, which like honestly looked incredible compared to anything else, I started getting a whole lot more networking responses. Like that's um, one outcome that literally happened within like a few days. Um, and I guess, you know, it's, it's being methodical about everything. Like, honestly, when I joined this program, I basically got the best resources that they are, that there are out there, like period, better than anything else. So like, there's, you know, no reason why um, I wouldn't be able to get the job because I literally had better resources than anybody else. Um, so, uh, you know, my networking, um, I started um, really being more methodical about it, really networking. I probably reached out to, um, you know, what I did was I put, um, you know, some hours every day and I tried to reach out to like, um, maybe like five people every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over the course of the week, that's 35 over the course of like 10 weeks, like that's a lot of people. And I started having a lot of networking conversations, like mm -hmm. several every week. Um, and, um, you know, being able to understand, like people think like, Hey, networking conversations are like to learn about the company. Like that's total BS. That's not what they're for. Like you're, you're networking with people so you can, so you can get an interview. Like obviously you'll tell them, you'll tell them like you want to learn about it. And to be honest, like learning that, st that stuff from people, like what maybe actually help you in an interview. But the whole point of networking is to get an interview. Like if we had the interviews without networking, like we wouldn't have to network at all. So like um, I started being way more thought methodical about it and I was able to land way more interviews and I was um, able to really, um, surprise people and um you know i could hear after i kind of told my story so this kind of ties into like really making my behaviorals perfect too after i told my like my story like tell me tell them about myself um a lot of times they looked like the look on their face was like they've never heard anything that good before mm. um uh and i i'm sure it's probably not that different for most of the other clients like yeah. literally like I, I don't even know they probably like talk to a bunch of people every week and they just hear the same old stuff. But if you can really surprise them, like they're willing to vouch for you, that's, that's what started happening to me. Like they just looked at me like, that's actually really, that's really cool. Like um, that was really great to learn about. I like learn, like learn about you like that. So, oh. um, and then basically through the rest of the whole networking conversation, just because their first impression is really good. Um, like they're just like really free flowing. Like they don't check their phone or anything. Like they're really free flowing to me. Uh, through the whole network conversation and like I had people check their phone and like respond to emails on me like before I joined the program because <laughs> it was just so boring <laughs> they're like literally responding to emails when I'm trying to ask them questions um, like that would never happen afterwards because they're just so engaged because you know exactly what to say to kind of um, target exactly what you need to target in, in terms of investment making and yeah. that, like that ties into like behaviorals too like tying my behaviorals like I think behaviorals is underrated for a lot of people um like guys like technicals um sure they're important but um uh, like you're never going to get a job because of technicals um like you get a job because you're the right person for the job and it's, that's all behaviorals and in my case like i like like i said like i think we talked about this in the program but like i literally get my behaviorals down in like 20 i'm uh, sorry got my technicals down in like 20 hours like it's just not a lot of time it took me a couple weeks and i was just ready for any technicals they threw at me just because i understood everything um, behaviorals actually took more time in my case, um, but um, I think that's probably how it should be because behaviorals is what gets people the job, and a lot of people um, kind of approach it like I was when uh, before I joined the program. But yeah. uh, that's really interesting. Like, uh, yeah. or not for me because I know, but <laughs> for our listeners, is very interesting to hear that 
you only spend 20 hours learning all the technicals and then that was enough for you to feel really confident about it and you actually spent the rest of your time networking, lining up these interviews and also just like mastering your behaviorals and that's where most of your time was going. Whereas most of the people, they're spending like hundreds of hours trying to learn these technicals and that's all they're doing and they're neglecting all this other more important stuff which causes them to maybe not even get the interview in the first place because they're not networking the right way or even if they get the interviews and like they know their technicals but they just come up as this like boring candidate who sounds cookie cutter and just like everybody else and they still don't get the job yeah so like um like to be honest i really don't think there's any reason like you need to spend any more time on technicals than like 20 hours or 25 hours if you do it right because um, like if you do it right and you really understand that everything really there's not that many concepts if you kind of just methodically work through it like there's not that much to it you just have to understand it but a lot of people just don't get that so i understand why they're putting in all the hundred hours because they're still not where they should be after those hundred hours because they're not like utilizing the right resources and doing it in the right way so like yeah, I guess like you probably do need to spend more time on technicals for most people because they're just not up to par, but um, really you should be doing it in a better way, not just doing more of it. And you really need to spend more time on more important things like networking and behaviorals. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, whenever people hear us say like, oh, t technicals shouldn't take more than 20 hours. Like it, so it sounds like it sounds like like a, like a scam or like we're joking. It's, lit it's literally not. Right, but, but well, it's, it's kind of hard to believe based on their own reality because they're they know how much more time they've already spent on it and they still don't feel like they understand it very well right, right. so it's just like, how is that possible but the best way for me to explain it to everyone is just like you know you're trying to learn technicals it's kind of like trying to learn another foreign language right and if you were trying to learn foreign language today you could do what you're currently doing, which is go out, buy a textbook on French, buy a French textbook, and then memorize all the grammar rules and memorize all the vocabularies you can and spend hundreds of hours doing that. And at the end of that, you probably still wouldn't be able to put together like a very fluent, coherent sentence, right? Or maybe you could put together a couple of sentences, but you're not gonna be able to have like this flowing conversation uh, with with the french person right versus if you're really serious about learning french you probably would go find like a native french speaker to work with you and to speak the language with you on a daily basis and to teach you the language as opposed to you trying to teach it to yourself by reading a book right because it's not something that you can learn just from reading a book it just isn't and it's not something you can you're not really qualified to teach yourself because you don't know what you don't know right um, and so when we say like, hey, you can learn everything in 20 hours, sometimes like people say, oh yeah, it should only take 20 hours. I'm sure I could just do that on my own. Right? It's like, no, the caveat is like, only if you approach it the right way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I think that's a really good point, but you came in, okay, so your networking conversations started going a lot better. Your behaviorals were amazing. You barely had to spend any time on the technicals. Um, and so it sounds like as a result of all this, I'm guessing you started getting more interviews than you were before then. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty tough actually, just because of how late I was, yeah. but, um, I actually, uh, you know, when I think back, um, I got 
before I joined the program, like I said, I interviewed with two firms over the course of like six months on my own. Yeah. Um, after I joined, within a month or two, I probably had six interviews. Um, um, you know, not all of them turned out, um, partially because um, I hadn't gone all the way through the program yet, and part, part of them was, um, you know, I don't know, it was just other things, but uh, out of, I got, I got to a few super days out of that, and then obviously got my offer, so everything started going a lot better, and obviously networking was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, I, there was a big turnaround in terms of, like, the, uh, you know, the number of responses I was getting. Obviously, in terms of networking, I was talking to way, way more people. Yeah. I was getting way more responses on, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not saying that, hey, you do the program, then you're going to get every single interview and every single offer. We will never make a claim like that, right? Um, we have had clients that have done that, but I would say, you know, it's very, very difficult to do. But that's not really the point. The point is you, you just want to improve your chances. Like getting two interviews in six months means you're getting one, on average, one interview every three months, one interview per quarter, right? Versus getting six interviews in one or two months. Now you're getting, you know, let's call it, even if it's two months, let's just say two months. That means you're getting three interviews uh, per month right? Which is really would have been nine interviews per quarter if you extrapolate it out. And so that's, you're getting nine times as many at bats as you were previously, right? And so you just nine X your opportunity or nine X number of at bats. And then what we always tell people is you just need to score one time right? You just need, you just need one offer, right? And even if you didn't end up getting the offer that you ultimately got, we would have just kept going until you did get another offer, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but you did get the offer eventually, right? right? Um, after it sounds like what your fifth or sixth interview. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the offer that you got. Like, was it a pretty competitive process? And like, what type of offer was it like? Were you happy with it? Like whatever, whatever you're, um, whatever you're willing to tell us about it. Yeah. So I, um, uh, it was a special group in a, um, it's an industry specific bank and they're like the top of the, um, they're the biggest, probably the most elite bank in their industry that they focus on. Um, so like, you know, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, whatever, like they have, um, obviously this group too, but, um, in terms of if you just compare their group to um, uh, my company, then um, my company is going to be the biggest one in that industry. So um, they're probably like the most elite bank in the industry. Mm. And um, I interviewed for a special group actually. So there was um, actually only one opening. Um, and like actually a fun fact is um, I actually didn't apply for the opening. I got it through networking. So like, um, <laughs> so like, um, yeah, networking is pretty important. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so if actually, you had if you had applied, you probably wouldn't have gotten the interview because it's the roles in New York, right? And you're in Minnesota, and nobody yeah, knows who you are, and like yeah, yeah. But, actually, I interviewed with um, people on the other on the other firm's office, and uh, when the position came up in New York, um, they knew about me, so they they 
they asked if I wanted to have an interview. So I actually didn't, I didn't even apply. Um, so that, I mean, that's just pretty cool. And that says something about um, obviously the success I had in my networking conversations, yeah. given that like they, they asked me to come in for an interview without applying. But um, yeah, so uh, the process actually, like I said, there was one opening and there was, um, I think, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but at least 200 candidates for that one opening. Wow. Um, that's crazy. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously I wasn't part of the interview um, like team or anything like that, but you know, they probably did first rounds with like 30, 40 people and they probably had a super day with like at least 10 or 15 people. Yeah. Um, and obviously I was the one who got the offer. So, I mean, one out of 200 is 0.5%, right? right. So we say most elite banks accept about 1% or less of their candidate pool. And this is pretty much in line with that, right? Like right. when I tell people, hey, most of these elite banks get one to 200 applications for every job opening that they have. Like that's literally based on statistics that are publicly available. Um, yeah. It's not numbers that we're just making up, right? And so that's how competitive it is. That's why like when people say, yeah, well, I just want to see if I can do it on my own. You might be able to do it on your own. You might be that one out of 200 people. But why would you want to take that risk, right? And if you could have us in your corner and you could um, maximize, like, your chances of getting that job because, you know, your behavior is going to be better, your technical is going to be better, your networking is going to be better, the way you prepare is going to be more efficient and more effective than the other 199 people why would you not want that? Right. And ultimately, I mean, look, like whether they interviewed 30 people, 40 people, you know, and whether the super day was 10 people, 15 people, like didn't matter. It was one job. And I'm sure there were a lot of um, candidates that were at the super days who were, who probably went to quote unquote better schools than you. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, obviously I, I said, I go to the university of Minnesota. It was in New York. So I'm sure they had, at least a handful of people from target schools in their super days, but Ivy league kids, you know, yeah. Harvard, Warden, Columbia, NYU, blah, 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 blah. You know, kids with great GPAs and stacked resumes and this and that, like at the end of the day though, like you beat all of them. Right. Which mm -hmm. when you really step back to think about it, it's like, wow, that's pretty, <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. But, but that's, but that's why like, you know, now that you've been through that filter, like you're the top 1% and now you get to, you know, have those things that everyone else wants, but you know, can't necessarily have, right. You get to have the six figure salary when you graduate, you get to have the exit opportunities, you get to have, you know, the prestige associated with working at a top tier bank or whatever other reasons or motivations people may have for wanting to do banking. But like, that's like nothing, they say nothing good comes easy. And like, this is the perfect example of that. Right? Like yeah. you have to, beat out so many people just to get just to get here so um but anyway that's that's an amazing story man obviously like super happy for you um yeah do you have any just we only have a couple minutes left but do you have any last minute um advice for people who are listening like maybe people who uh, were in a similar or are in a similar situation as wh where you were before like maybe they go to a non-target school or maybe they um you know start a little bit later or maybe they like either are considering just doing it themselves or maybe they've already tried to do it themselves for a while 
Um, what would you tell you, or what do you wish someone had told you back when you were in their shoes? Yeah. So like, I know everyone says this, but no one's listens. Like no, everyone says this, but no one listens to the people that say it. And it's like, I, I wish I started earlier. Everyone says that, <laughs> but then when people hear it, they're just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, like, seriously, like seriously, if you like with the kind of resources that I got in this program, like, I don't think there's any uh, reason I wouldn't have gotten to it like a bulge back nearly boutique kind of a year back just because I, I would have had so much time. Yeah. Like, you know, guys, like you want, you want to have so much time and you want to be prepared like as much as possible over that time. So like, Hey, if you have a lot of time, I don't think that's a reason that you should risk it and try it yourself over that time. And that's obviously a mistake I made. Um, but if you have a lot of time, then um, like that's, that's the perfect opportunity for you to, take advantage of the best resources and get as head as much as possible and um, literally get the best outcome possible. Yeah. So um, I guess in my case, like, um, you know, feedback uh, or a kind of advice that I would give people um, outside of um, kind of joining Wall Street Mastermind, which I think obviously um, can, can obviously have some great benefits. Like um, I think that's something everyone should consider, obviously, if this is something that's important to you, but like, just like be methodical about it. Like stop, like um, stop like trying to memorize technical Stop trying to like just make up behaviorals. It doesn't work. Like you gotta be like with, with a process that's competitive, you have to be really methodical about it and making sure that you're at that 10 out of 10 position um, yep. because there's, you know, if you try hard and you do it on your own, like you might be able to be like good, but good doesn't cut it. Like you need to be best of the best to get the job. Um, yep. So I think, um, you know, you got to do everything you can to be in that top bucket. And um, obviously, uh, the program, that's exactly what we do. Uh, yeah, you know, we do for us. But I mean, that's, that's my advice in general. Got it. Got it. Yeah, man, that's, um, that's really great advice. So thank you for that. Um, I mean, look, guys, uh, we only have a few minutes here. So we're going to wrap up. But you know, in closing, I would just say um, there, there's no reason uh, for you guys to struggle on your own first um, before you then do the thing that, you know, that you know is going to help you accomplish your goals. Okay. Um, I think what I always tell people is like, the sooner you land the offer and Daniel is alluding to this as well, but based on the way the recruiting process is the recruiting timeline works, typically the best banks get filled up first, right? So the earlier on in the process that you can get an offer, typically the, the better the offer is going to be like as, as the date of this recording, it's April, 2020. Like I had a client that just got an offer from PJT for summer 2021, which is, you know, 14, 15 months away. Um, most people don't even have an offer yet. They're just starting to recruit, but like the best banks, the, the ones that are the hardest to get into, the ones that pay the most, the ones that, um, you know, the most prestigious have the best exit opportunities. Like they typically just choose the candidates they want first and, and then they're pretty much done recruiting. Right? Like I heard PJT is done recruiting at this point. So you can try on your own first, and then like you can come back to it later and then we might still be able to help you. We might not, but like, even if we were able to help you, 
whatever results we do get for you is not going to be as good as what we would have been able to get for you initially. But that's just a fact. There's nothing we can do about that. It doesn't matter how good we are. Right. The other thing that, um, that Daniel mentioned that I thought was really um, on point is he said, you know, he would tell everyone to start early. Right. So I think that if you kind of view recruiting as a race, like you're running a race against, you know, all the other students out there who are in your class, also trying to get the same job. Um, there's really only two ways to win a race, right? One is you start running before the other people start, right? Like you kind of jump the gun. Um, and that's one, which is what Dan was talking about, like start as early as you can. But not everyone can do that. Sometimes like for a lot of you, by the time you realize you want to do banking, you notice that your peers have already started like months ago or sometimes years ago, right? Because they knew they wanted to do banking way before you. Um, so the other way to win the race is if you are a faster runner than your peers, rather than your competition. Like if you can run faster, even if you started later, you can catch up to the people you're racing against and you can surpass them. Right. And that second part is kind of where we come in, which is like, we're kind of like the rocket fuel. We're like the, the, the people who, who can give you that boost that you need. Um, so that, you know, before, if you're running a seven minute mile, eight minute mile, now we're going to help you run a four minute mile. Right. Um, and you're going to be able to accomplish so much more in the exact same amount of time as your competitors, because you guys all have 24 hours in a day, right? And that's how you're going to win, right? Um, and if you go to a non-target school like Daniel does, if you go to like University of Minnesota, um, for investment banking recruiting purposes, that's like you're running this race and you're starting from lane six, right? The Harvard Warden, uh, you know, Columbia, NYU kids, they're starting in lane one. They're on the inside track, right? They don't have to run as hard as you to finish this race, right? So that's even more reason for you to figure out how you can gain a competitive advantage and get a leg up on these people, right? So if, that's, if that makes sense to you, and if that's something that you're looking for, then I would encourage you to go and book a strategy session with our team, okay? You can do that by going to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. The street's abbreviated to ST, so it's wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And what we'll do is we'll hop, we'll hop on the phone with you for an hour. We'll try to learn more about your situation, really get to know you as a candidate, understand what your goals and aspirations are, as well as what challenges you're currently having um, in accomplishing uh, the outcome that you want, right? And based on what you tell us, like, if we can help you, um, we're absolutely happy to, you know, kind of tell you what that might have to look like or how we would do that and how we would get you to your goal. But even if we can't help you, you know, happens sometimes, but if we can't help you, like we'll do our best to still at a minimum, just give you advice on what we think we would do if we were in your shoes. Okay. So at a minimum, man, this call is free at a minimum. You can walk away from this call with some actionable advice that you can just go implement on your own. But Best case scenario, like we're a great fit um, and we're going to help you completely change the trajectory of your career, right? So this could be one of the best calls 
that you ever decide to take. Um, so again, go to wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you guys. So um, with that, Daniel, I want to thank you for, uh, again, spending an hour with us today to talk about your experience. Um, super insightful uh, for our listeners, I'm sure. And there's a lot of good um, advice that you dropped on people. And uh, congratulations again on the offer that you got. Uh, it's obviously a great accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. Can't wait to see what you do this summer. Yeah, I'm excited. Awesome, man. Well, guys, that'll be it for today. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be back with a lot more of these in, in the coming months as we uh, go through this recruiting cycle. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.